the second video, similar to the one that we saw last week. And this video, again, leads us to consider there isn't a lot of deep thinking about eternity or the afterlife by most people. There's not a whole lot of reflection. This video, again, matched what we saw in a survey by the Pew Research uh, Center in 2022. 83% of the people in America right now, according to the research, believe there's some kind of afterlife, there's uh, some kind of thing called heaven, even though they can't prove it. And they basically live hoping uh, eternity or life after death really does exist. They hope. They're not really sure. And they, as you saw, how many different ways can you think about the afterlife here? I mean, and some of us look at it and go, what? All right. But we have to understand that's out there. And this is why we began this mini-series two weeks ago on eternity. There is much confusion, even among Christ followers, about eternity and the afterlife. And it's important that we know what the Bible teaches about eternity so that we can have confidence that it does exist and not just for confidence in ourselves so that we can uh, share that confidence with the world who has nothing more than a passing hope that anything after death exists. We're not contemplating just for us. We want to let what we know about eternity and heaven and hell, we want it to lead us and motivate us and drive us to tell the rest of the world about Jesus Christ. Last week, we considered that uh, we can have confidence in eternity and the afterlife because the Bible teaches that it exists. Jesus taught that it exists. And because we saw at a practical level that God has put or planted eternity in the hearts of mankind. That's why so many people who are unsaved believe there's something after death because God has, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, has planted eternity in our hearts. We know there's something out there, and if we don't know Jesus Christ, we fill that hole in with whatever else we can think of. Multiple surveys, interviews, and such across many years have practically supported the truth that mankind somehow knows there's an afterlife. We also asked last week these questions, does every human enter eternity? The answer was what? Yes. Does every human end up in the same place? No. If not, how many different eternal destinations are there? Two. These are things that we went through last week. And then we asked, does hell exist? We started with hell. We wanted to establish the basis that one of the places you opportunity to go or a path to go is hell. And so we asked the question, does it exist? Is it real? Any debate about that? No. Hell exists. What will hell hell be like? A place of eternal torment and separation from God we saw last week. Who will go to hell? Those who do not realize that their sin condemns them in God's eyes and who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those Those are the people who are going to go to hell. Our time together last week was heavy. It was difficult for us to think of an eternal punishment that includes weeping and gnashing of teeth and eternal separation from God and fire and the lake of fire. But it is so necessary that we come face to face with hell so our hearts become burdened for the lost. Remember, hell is not written in the Bible to scare other people to heaven. 
It's to help us understand it exists. This is where some of your family, this is where some of your friends, this is where some of your neighbors, this is where some of your coworkers are going. And when we look at hell and what it is and what God has laid out in His Word that it is, it needs to motivate us to say, I don't want any of them to go to hell if they do not know Jesus Christ. It is for motivation for us more than to scare them to Jesus Christ. However, this morning we're going to look at the only other place that exists. And today is not going to be as heavy. What do we all say to that? Amen. Because we're going to talk about heaven this morning. We're going to talk about where we are going to go. And what makes this life on this earth worth it. It would take us several weeks to look at what God has revealed about heaven in His Word. But this morning, we're going to reflect on it briefly, like we reflected on hell last week. I hope our time together will give each of us a reason to end this year's Thanksgiving holiday with praise and rejoicing, and of course, abundant thanksgiving for God's provision of our eternal home, heaven. I wanted us to end the Thanksgiving holiday thinking about the greatest blessing that we're going to experience for all of eternity heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before we do that, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity you give us to study your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the holiday that we have just spent together with friends and family. Thank you for the blessings that we have, that we have such an abundant uh, ability to give thanks because of those blessings. Thank you for friends and family, but most of all, Father, thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ, and thank you, Father, for your word that helps us see why salvation is so special in Christ's name, amen. So this morning, let's begin in a similar way that we did last week when we looked at hell, and let's ask this question, does heaven exist? Does heaven exist? And we already know the answer to that, right? What is it? Yes. And so let me ask you a question. How do you know? How do you know heaven exists? I see a couple people holding up their Bibles, and, and they're absolutely right. It's real because the Bible clearly teaches that heaven exists. Remember, the Bible is the only infallible, inspired source of truth for us as Christ followers. And it speaks very clearly to the fact that heaven exists. So how does the Bible reveal to us that heaven does exist? First, the Bible is clearly represents heaven as a place. Heaven is described as a place. It's not some ethereal floating around, it is a place, like we are here in this place. And how do we know that? Well, everybody get a hold of your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, get one of those red ones. So all the kids, everybody get a Bible, because we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, and I'm going to give you page numbers for the Pew Bibles if you don't have one. Some, is, some are going to be on the screen, but we're going to read some extended passages throughout this morning. So everybody turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. It's on page 1135. John chapter 6. 
starting in verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Now here's the verse we want to look at. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He came down from where? That whole structure, how that's written, it looks at heaven as what? A place. I came from some place. If I say that I came from Columbia, do you have to kind of figure out, well, did he really, I mean, does it really exist? You just know what? By the way that I stated it, that it exists. This is the same way that John records here that, that it, Jesus said, I have come from heaven. We also see that Jesus ascended to a place. So everybody turn to Acts chapter 1. It's on page 1156 in the Pew Bible, Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He has revealed himself to his apostles, plus 500 others, and he is now getting ready to ascend. Acts chapter 11, uh, Acts chapter 1, excuse me, verse 9. And when he had said these things, that's Jesus, as they were looking, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? What's he say? Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The idea there is heaven is what? A place. Again, we also see that Jesus now sits in a place. If you look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, now the point in that what we were saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty, where? He's seated at the right hand of a throne. Does a throne need a place to reside? Absolutely. Heaven is a place. Heaven is a place. We also understand this, and this is one that we all really enjoy. John 14, too. Many of us know this. In my Father's house, there are many what? Rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to what? Prepare a place. That whole idea, I'm going to prepare a place. What do we see in our minds when we see that? What do we think? A home. We think of a building. I mean, that whole idea is put in a way that we understand that we are going to go to a place when we die. We're not just going to hang out and float around somewhere. We have a place. We're going to have a place that we reside. We're going to have a place that we can stand before the throne. We're, we have a place. So we understand very clearly we understand that heaven exists because the Bible says it's a place. It's a place. Turn to page 1313, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Here we have John writing about heaven. This would have freaked me out. I'm on earth, I'm on the island of Patmos, and then God takes me 
to heaven. Listen to what he says. And after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you this, what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that appeared, uh, had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 uh, thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. What is John describing? A place. And if you read all the way through, if you read through chapters 4 and chapter 5 in Revelation, you're going to see more description of what this place looks like. So we understand that heaven is a place. Not only do we notice a place, but as we just saw, we'll see it again here in just a minute, but John was an eyewitness to that place. So we understand that heaven does exist, not only because it is described as a place, but because there are eyewitnesses. We have biblical eyewitnesses, and not just John. Let's take a look at 1 Kings, all the way back on 386. 1 Kings, chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 13. This context here is Ahab, who was a very evil king, and the false prophets, and the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of them and speak favorably. So here we have somebody coming to this prophet, Micaiah. And think about this. He says, I want you to tell the king a favorable interpretation or a favorable word from God. He's not asking for them to the, the truth of God. He says, you go into the king like all the other prophets and you speak a favorable word to the king. Now, how important would it be to please the king in that day? It would be, right? But look at how this prophet responded. Look at how this prophet responded. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that will I speak. He looked at basically and said, I will speak what the Lord says and nothing more and nothing less. Could that have cost him his life right then and there? Absolutely. What a courageous man. And then he says here, verse 15, And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to the battle or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph, and the Lord will give you into the hand of the king. And as he goes through there, he's going to tell the king what he wants to hear. The king's going to say, You're not telling me the truth. Tell me the truth. And then listen to what Micaiah says. And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. Listen to what he says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right, on his right hand and on his left. Where did he see? An eyewitness of what? The throne room of God. The throne room of God. And then we also already saw in Revelations chapter 4 and following, we see the, the description of the throne of God. We see the description of heaven. We see the description of the walls. And then everybody turn to 726. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So we see John eyewitnessing to heaven. We see Micaiah eyewitnessing to heaven. And here we have Isaiah doing the same thing. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
and above, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Think of what that would have done to the heart of Isaiah. He's trying to explain heaven in human words. Think about that. Not only do we see Isaiah being an eyewitness, we also see Jesus Christ being an eyewitness. Look at uh, John chapter 6, verse 35. John chapter 6 is on page 1135 again. John chapter 6, starting in verse 35. This is Jesus Christ speaking. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, we see Jesus Christ himself saying, I came down from where? Heaven. So we understand that there is no doubt that God's word reveals heaven exists because it describes a physical place. And not only is it just described as a physical place, we have multiple eyewitnesses that it exists. And we don't have to worry about that idea. We, we trust the Word of God. We trust that the Word of God is true. Because I know a number of you in here have never been to Alaska. I know some of you have been, but a number of you have not been to Alaska. So let me ask you a question. How do you know it exists? How do you know? Well, I've seen it on a map. Well, could somebody have just drawn a map? How do you know Alaska exists? Because many of you know that I have spent many, many years in Alaska, and I'm an eyewitness of Alaska, so if I say Alaska exists, okay, at least on my testimony, what do you all understand? It exists. Jesus Christ, Isaiah, Micaiah, and all these people say, this exists because I have been an eyewitness to it. And so we have eyewitness accounts of the physical location, of the physical existence, excuse me, of heaven. Not only does heaven exist, but it will exist for all of eternity. Just like hell, heaven will exist for all eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, we see, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, what is he talking about? What is our earthly tent? Our bodies, okay? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For how long in the heavens? Eternally. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 1 on page 1,293. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And let's actually start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What do you see here? This idea of a glorious eternity, a glorious time in heaven. Heaven is an eternal place that no matter what, even though we have a light and momentary afflictions in our time here on earth, heaven is worth everything that we go through. When compared to the eternity we will spend in heaven, this earth and what we go through means nothing. And since all Christ followers are going to spend eternity in heaven, the question that normally would follow is, what? What will heaven be like? How many of you have ever wondered what heaven would be like? 
If we go back to Revelation chapter 4 again, which we won't take time to turn there, we see a whole description all the way through chapter 5 of what heaven is like. It's going to be a, a, a place of great and wonderful beauty. And then we also see in Revelation 21, 4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All the former things that we have experienced due to our sin on this earth, on this planet, where are they when we are in heaven? They're gone. They're gone. All the guilt that we have because of our sin, that, that sometimes we carry longer than we should, where's it at? Gone. Where are all the tears that we have because of death and disappointment and broken relationships? Where is it? Where is the mourning because we have failed or we come to God again and say, how come I cannot uh, overcome this sin? And we mourn before God and we grieve before God because we still struggle every day with sin. Where is that at in heaven? It's gone. It's gone. What will heaven be like? It will be beautiful beyond our comprehension. There will only be the wonder of Jesus Christ and the rejoicing of a final, complete understanding of what He did for us. When we get to heaven, we're going to finally really grasp the extent of what He did for us when He saved us and came and died for us on the cross. We think we know now. We rejoice in what we know now. But when we get to heaven, now we don't have to deal with the sin. And we're going to, for the first time in our existence, look at Him we will not even be able to express what our feelings are when we become to a realization of what He's actually done for us without sin interfering. Then we also see Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. What is heaven like? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, will transform our lowly body to be like His what? His what? glorious body what are we going to be like in heaven i'm not going to have this body anymore folks you're not going to have your body anymore <laughs> think about that what you see when you look in the mirror is not going to be the same thing in heaven we're going to have a glorious body Transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. He has the ultimate power to change us, and we're going to have a body like Jesus Christ when He rose again, when He appeared in the rooms, uh, in, in locked rooms. That's the kind of body we're going to have. A body that can stand before God when we worship Him before the throne. Amen? That's what heaven's going to be like. Heaven is real, eternal, and a place where we will live in the wonder of God for all eternity without the hindrances of sin. And I've heard it already this morning. We've said amen, and we all just can't wait. But there's another important question we have to ask. Who will go to heaven? Who gets to experience this? If you listen to the man on the street, it's pretty much everybody. We saw that in two videos, true? But who will 
go to heaven. Well, let's start with the negative first. Who will not go to heaven? Well, let's see in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, if you would advance that. Okay, there we go. Now, the works of the flesh, so who, what is that? Sin, that's us, that's, that's who we are, that's the, the other part of us, or the initial part of us that we struggle with even after salvation. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, period. A lifestyle like that, does that list everything? That No. But we see Paul listing that these are the characteristics of folks who are not going to go to heaven. These are the characteristics of those folks who we would say are unsaved, who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we have to let this sink into our hearts. Some of the neighbors you live by, some of the students that you go to school with, some of your co-workers are in that list. Actually, most of them probably. And we know where they're going. If they're not going to heaven, where are they going to go? Let that settle. Don't just gloss over and say, hey, cool, I, I'm, I'm saved. I don't have to worry about that. Let it weigh on our hearts. Because there's going to be so many people who don't know Jesus Christ. We're going to find out they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So who will go to heaven? Everybody knows this. I was going to test you and not put it up and see if you could quote it, but I decided not to. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, what? Believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That is somebody who is going to go to heaven. They have eternal life because they believe in Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, where do you, we know that you go? Heaven. Most of us understand or know John 3.16, but how many of us continue down and know John 3.36? Whoever believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. If how? Who goes to heaven? Those who believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Who does not go to heaven? Those who do not obey. Do you see something there weird? How come it doesn't say whoever does not believe? The son shall not see life. You see, whoever believes will immediately begin to do what in their hearts and in their lives? They will begin to obey. Obedience to who uh, Jesus Christ was, living a life like Him, learning and growing through our uh, Bible studies and being in the Word of God. It's the obedience that we understand is the assurance of our salvation. We can believe all we want, but if there is not obedience that follows the belief, then there's no assurance of salvation. And so who, who goes to heaven? Whoever believes in the Son. 
What do we have to believe? And how do we believe? Paul answers this very simply for us. A verse that we looked at last week and a verse that we are, many of us are familiar with, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, if you confess with your mouth, and what are you going to confess? That the Jesus is Lord. First of all, that word Lord means master, and if you understand the word master from the first century when this was written, if somebody was your master... Who controlled every aspect of your life? The master did. You had no rights of your own. And so basically what you're saying, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you have given up your life. You have given up your rights. You are now, he is now your Lord and master and you live and walk and obey in what he reveals to us in the word of God and nothing else. That is what we desire more than anything else. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's not just enough, okay, to believe Uh, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But it's to understand that salvation rests on His resurrection from the dead. These are the two things that you must believe. It says, uh, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And it says what? You will be what? Saved. You will be saved. For as with the heart one believes and is justified, which is, means a legal term, mean made right, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Again, what are, what's that confessing referring back to? What's the confessing? That Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's what the confessing is. As Christ followers, we need to reflect on the truths of the gospel every day because it is the gospel that reminds us of who we were and what we've become in Christ And that the gospel is what gives us access to the heaven that we so desperately want to go to. If you are not sure you're a Christ follower, then I pray you will ask someone here today to help you understand. I'll be up here in the front if you want to come by and talk to me. Listen to last week's sermon. And if if you haven't heard it, understand that if you haven't heard, understand that your eternity will be spent in one of two places. Last week hell, this week heaven. And if you're not sure where you're going, if you're not sure what place in eternity you're going to be in, then please don't leave here today until you find out. And then I want you to consider this, that the gift of salvation Jesus Christ offers to everyone who would believe, okay, is free to anyone who would believe. It's free to anyone who would believe. So what will we do in heaven? How many of you want to know what you're going to do in heaven? That's pretty cool. I mean, if you ask people, you have people who say, well, we're just going to sit on clouds and play harps. You know, we're going to, you know, just worship God. And I'm not saying just worship God, but that's all we're going to do for eternity. That's not exactly accurate. Will it be an eternal nothing? Will we just sort of hang around heaven, strolling and strumming our way through eternity forever? Or will we have something to plan for, something to do, some responsibilities or goals or objectives? What are we going to do in heaven? Well, I don't want to disappoint you, but I I cannot be specific about what we will do because the Lord hasn't told us. 
Now, he's given us some general ideas, and we're, let me look at a couple of those. Let's look at a couple of those. First, uh, we're going to serve and worship Jesus Christ. We're going to serve and worship Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, no longer will uh, there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants. Okay, so what is the idea of servants? Do servants just sit around? Do servants accomplish something for the master? Absolutely. So we, his servants, not only are there servants, not only are there going to be things that we need to accomplish directed to and given to us by God, but we will also do what? Worship him. We're going to serve and worship our Lord Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And then we're going to see this, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that we are going to, again, we see this idea of worship. And it's going to be a worship that we have never, ever been to, able to accomplish here at Sardis Baptist Church. But the idea is we're going to be so enamored with Jesus Christ. And we're going to see all the nations and all of our kindred brothers and sisters who right now are persecuted in places in the world that we don't understand, that we don't know. They're all going to be there. We're all going to be one choir, one worship to God, worshiping God. And here's one as I was thinking about this. We're also going to be eternal priests. We're going to be eternal priests. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. This is the very beginning, of course, of Revelation. It's in the prologue. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. You have that idea of servants there. The things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in, the, in it, for the time is near. And then I want you to jump down to verse 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of what? priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. A kingdom of what? Priests. What did priests do? They were the servants of God, specially set aside to serve God in special ways that others could not. They had full access to, they had access to God in places that others did not. And here we're going to be a kingdom of priests, all having access to the throne room of God, serving as priests, serving as servants. I want you to notice something there, that John hasn't even made it through the prologue, the opening of his letter, before he just breaks out in praise. Look at that last part there. He says, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. When you think of heaven, when you think of the throne room of God, when you think of us being priests, when you think of us being servants and worshiping God, do you just naturally break out in a heartfelt, overwhelming, I cannot keep it in praise? 
Or is it just something you read in Revelations because you're reading through the Bible in a year? When you think of heaven, do you break out in a praise that is just overwhelming? Some of you watch my wife when she sings up here. She has a problem with teardrops, right? Why? Because it's overwhelming praise. It's overwhelming praise. I've watched other folks here just become overwhelmed because of God's Word, because He knows what it it means to be saved. We also see this priesthood idea in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then we also see in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may do what? What's part of our job as a priest? That we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For all eternity, we are going to be extolling the excellencies of Jesus Christ while we worship Him and serve Him as priests. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. God's Word is clear. Every Christian is part of a new priestly order. Every Christian has immediate access to God, serves God personally, and ministers to others. We will be able to proclaim the excellencies of God and Jesus Christ. We will offer spiritual sacrifices. We will not just be worshiping God before the throne, even though that will be wonderful beyond imagination. Part of our worship will be offering our God perfect perfect service for the first time in our existence. Can you imagine, Michelle, playing the piano for the first time in your existence with no sin for the praise and glory of your Father? How encumbering, unencumbered that would be to be able to serve without sin being an issue. What a wonder that would be. So we're going to be priests, but you know what else we're going to be? If we endure, we'll also what? We will reign with Him. We're going to reign. That's what we're going to be doing in heaven. We understand that, that Christ's followers are, are going to judge the angels. But as far as reigning with Him, we really don't know what that means. We don't have a concept of that. He doesn't reveal what it is, but we do know that we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. Revelations 3.21, the one who conquers, in many of your translations, what is the other word? Overcomes. I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. What is that the picture of? You will sit with him on his throne and do what? According to the last passage, reign with him. 1 John 5, 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who is the overcomers? Who are the ones that are going to sit with him and reign? Okay, it will be the one who believes, again, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Bible gives us a glimpse of what we will do in heaven. Yes, we will stand before the glorious throne of God and worship Him with all the nations. What a worship service that will be. But we will also serve Him as priests for all of eternity. 
And we can't even imagine the acts of service that he's going to have already planned for us to do. And we will reign with him. What a privilege it would be to reign with Jesus Christ. And knowing that the only reason why we're even capable of that is because we live in clothed in his righteousness. So we have just finished a holiday focused on giving of thanks. And I know that I should have given even more thanks than what I did. And I know that will be the place that I stand every day that I stand here because there's no way that I will ever be able to offer him the thanks that he deserves. For Christ followers, this Thanksgiving holiday means so much more than just eating a big meal and spending time with family because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are thankful beyond measure because we have been redeemed from our sin and the punishment that that sin would bring to our eternal lives. And we are also, we are also redeemed to what? Saved so that we can spend eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. There are no amount of thanks or gifts that we can give God that will ever be enough to say thanks. But I do want to close with one idea here. How many of you have enjoyed this sermon better than the one on hell? All right? But if we stop if we stop here and we bask in the, what God has given us and we bask in the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we, uh, where we stand, if we bask in that we're going to go to heaven and we don't have to go to worry about hell, and if we just do that for our own good, then we have missed the whole point. We don't just bask and take joy that we are going to go to heaven because of our salvation through Jesus Christ but we also want to be lights to the world so that others can join us there. It cannot stop with just a focus on us. It can't. We've just finished here last year going through Acts, and we understand that our mission is to be a light to the world. Our mission is to reach the uttermost parts of the world. Our mission is to reach our neighbors and our um, families, members who are not saved, our, to our government officials who are not saved. We need to reach them for Christ because... We want them to spend eternity in heaven with us and not eternity in hell separated from God. We must not just bask and get lazy, say, okay, great, I made it. You see, we understand what hell is and we don't want anybody to go there. Pray that God would use you as a light. There's a very dark world out there there is a lot of confusion. There is a lot of pain. There is a lot of fear with everything that is going on. The war in Russia, the war in Israel, social changes that we just look at and go, they are so evil. These people need to hear about the Savior that has given you heaven 
when you didn't deserve it. So don't keep that to yourself. Be a light for Jesus Christ. Pray right now that God would make you a light. Father God, we bow before you this morning. We praise your name for what your word reveals to us about the certainty of heaven, its existence, its eternality. Thank you for the picture of heaven we have that we, even in our language, we can barely even grasp or understand because of its magnificence. We thank you, Lord, not just for the blessings of this earth that we had a chance to share in this past few days, but thank you for the blessings that we have not even begun to experience and that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Lord God, thank you for saving each one of us. And Lord God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who does not know where they're going to spend their eternity, I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes to what they need in Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would reach out to someone here in the church this morning or to me. Father, you have to do that work first, but help us to be ready to help them understand. In Christ's name, amen.